Welcome to the Guides Gone Wild podcast. What is Guides Gone Wild, you ask? This is where you'll fill your ears and minds with the stories of everyday, extraordinary women who will inspire you to take your outdoor adventure game to the next level. Whether you're starting your journey from the couch or the trailhead, this is the place for you, so let's get a little wild. Have you ever talked to somebody who energized you yet calmed you all at the same time? That was my experience with Polly Mahoney, who's our guide today. Polly and her partner Kevin founded Mahusik Guide Service 30 years ago and have managed to keep themselves busy year-round ever since, offering dog sledding and canoeing trips suitable for beginners and enthusiasts alike. I've driven by Mahusik HQ many times on my way out to Grafton Notch on the main New Hampshire border. Polly and Kevin's 40-acre property features an original farmhouse, as well as their home, which they built themselves over the course of seven years, and a guest lodge, which was a second seven-year building project, as well as tons of space for their dozens and dozens of Yukon Huskies. It's a gorgeous place surrounded by mountains, just past one of my other favorite destinations, Puzzle Mountain Bakery, where I devour as many maple cream cookie sandwiches as I could get my hands on, but that's a topic for another podcast. Anyway, as soon as I got Guides Gone Wild off the ground officially, I started stalking Polly and got up the nerve finally to ask her to be a guest. I don't know what I was worried about because she's one of the most gracious people I've ever met, and she and Kevin enthusiastically toured us around their property and let us play with their dogs before Polly and I sat down to chat. Her calm and soft-spoken demeanor gives you zero indication of all the totally badass things she's done outdoors, including living in the Yukon bush for a decade. But I'm going to let her tell you the story. Let's mush right into my conversation with Polly Mahoney. All right, here we go. New technology seems to be working. Yeah, look at that. Polly Mahoney, my first, well, yeah, for sure my first face-to-face from a very safe distance away with technology that's actually designed to do this. So hopefully (laughs) we will have an uneventful but productive conversation today. Thank you for joining me on Guides Gone Wild. All right. Thanks for asking me to participate. Oh my goodness. So Polly and her partner Kevin own Mahusik Guide Service, which is here in Newry, Maine. And we are on their beautiful, beautiful property right now. And they were just kind enough to take me and my posse, my husband and my kids for a little quick tour around to introduce us to some of their um, gorgeous sled dogs. And now we are sitting in this beautiful, beautiful lodge that is just crazy that we're going to talk about the fact she built it in seven years. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to stop talking now. What I would love to do, Polly, is have you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you came to be where you are today. Like, interesting evolution. You've got a lot of things we can poke at. Well, let's see. I guess I'll start with, I was born in Bangor, Maine. Right. Back in '59, so well, you now you know how old that. I am. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I grew up in South China, Maine, uh-huh. and went to high school in Augusta, Coney. And when I graduated from high school, I headed out west, like right away. I um, worked at horse ranches in um, well, New Hampshire, then Wyoming, and California in the summers and I was a ski bum in the winters. I worked at Jackson Hole, Wyoming and for a couple seasons. And then everyone was talking about the North and Alaska. So I decided I'd go to Alaska. I was 20 years old and I applied to all the national parks and forests in Alaska. And I got a job in Skagway, the Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park. 
and I worked on the Chilkoot Trail and Trail Crew, and um, I just loved being in the North. And then I met my ex-husband in um, Atlin, BC, on the other side of the mountains, and he had sled dogs. So we had a life together for nine and a half years, and that's where I got into dog sledding, and I learned a lot about living in the bush with him. He was a lot older than me and had a lot of experience, so we lived in various cabins and wall tents and without running water or electricity. And uh, <laughs> um, we used to keep uh, 12 dogs because we were so mobile, we would take trips sometimes for a month or two at a time. So we had to take everything, all the dogs with us, like we couldn't leave any behind. So I would run five and he'd run seven dogs. So. So there's, there's like 9,000 layers of stuff already that you've said that just like my brain is like dripping out of my ears. So you finished high school and yeah, so this was like not even 1980 and you're a female, 18, 19 year old, and you're like, I'm just gonna move west. I know, I was quite adventurous and <clears throat> I was quite a free spirit. Were you when like I that as a kid it, too, and just yeah, I yeah. think I yeah, I definitely was, because <laughs> um, yeah, I just had a I've always had a free spirit and done some crazy things, so that's just the way I've been. You so. didn't think twice, just kind of went, and did you you know kind of traverse cross country and make it into this whole adventure and. Well, did you I know did, where you were going, I guess? First? Well, I did apply to all the national parks yeah. and forests, so I did have a job when I went in Skagway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would have gone even if I didn't have the job, but I did have it, so that was nice. And how I met, you know, it's just how, you know, you meet somebody that knows somebody, and that's how, you know, the connections happen. So I think for me, um, I think I've been pretty good about following my heart, and that's something that if you're open to that and you're in tune with it, to notice when the connections are happening and yeah. take advantage of that instead of getting too much in your head and say, well, I can't do that because that was my plan and I have to stay with it instead of being open to opportunities as they come up, I guess. Right. So I've been pretty good at that, not necessarily on a career path, but looking back at my life, I think I was on a career path. I just didn't know I was, right, you right. know, for living in the outdoors and, you know, what I'm doing now. So I think, I think having your career path be no regrets is not such a bad thing. No, I it mean, is not. <laughs> you know, I think we could, some of us maybe could learn from that. Um, right. So I think that's part of it, just uh, following my heart. And I, I love outdoor adventure and I ended up, you know, making my way to the north that because I was going on recommendations from people and yeah. I had the adventure that I didn't mind venturing off on myself, which yes, it is not for everyone. But so I, you must I, have I, done some of that though before you moved. I mean, because obviously you had a higher comfort level with that, the whole concept of that than most people would. So did you spend yeah. a lot of time in your teens like camping and paddling and doing well, like yes, that? in my teens, I was really into horseback riding. Okay. So I rode horses in a pony club in Newburgh, Maine, Penobscot Pony Club, and I got into eventing, and that's pretty wild. And I got to the B level in pony club, so I was a very serious rider, and I had a lot of support um, from my mother in that area. Mm -hmm. um, but both my parents were very outdoorsy. My dad was a Boy Scout leader. My mom was 
family love like to sail and ski and so we didn't do a lot of camping as a family but I did more you know the riding I was outside yeah all it the sounds time. like you're outside a lot which, I was outside all yeah. the time yeah so that's always been my if I'm not outside I feel like I'm missing something <laughs> so. yeah yeah, well, it's been it's but, a good place to be right now. Yeah, safest place to be. So there that's you go. That's true, right? So you wind up. Um, so had the concept of living kind of off the land, out by yourself, ever crossed your mind, or is that that's no. just something that because you were with somebody who kind of lived that way and was comfortable with it, it just kind of oh yeah, good. No yeah, problem. it kind of just happened. It wasn't like you know I'm an animal person, always have been. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a cat. And then I had horses and now I have dogs. So that for sure was, you know, when I met this man that had the sled dogs, you know, I was very attracted to that lifestyle because Mm -hmm. of the dogs. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going up there ever thinking about getting into dog sledding. It just kind of happened. But I also worked with horses a lot in the north. I worked at big game trophy hunting camps for four years and we hunted with horses. And I had never hunted before. Even growing up in Maine, my family wasn't a hunting family. But I loved being out in the mountains and riding the horses. So Mm -hmm. I learned about hunting and got into that. I was horse wrangler a couple seasons and a cook a couple seasons. I was going to say, did you like, would, how many months would you go without seeing another female in those situations? Oh, I know. I think back I to that, I was a the big old... game camping club, <laughs> hiking, you know, hunting club in the 70s and 80s. I'm like, oh. Yeah, there wasn't, yeah, it was all men hunters and men in the camps um <clears throat> well there was a one camp i worked at for a while and and there was a woman you know the wife of the owner right so she would come and go but yeah it was all men i don't know i didn't really think about it back then i wouldn't really want to do it now but at the time i you know i was learning so many things and yeah. it was just such an adventure and the horses and yeah you know i didn't really mind at that time that's pretty so. cool <laughs> and now, in my little pre-game research, I saw that it was around this time that you almost became a movie star. You kind of were one. Yes, that was at that time. <laughs> yes, uh, I did get involved with a movie, Never Cry Wolf. I know. I, yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta dig that up. I was looking at, looking at the, you know, write up about it, and you know, and then read some stuff about it. I'm like, this actually sounds like a really cool movie. A little bit, you know, the kids might get a little grossed out by the mouse. Scene, but yeah, I'm that's like, what everyone remembers. I, yeah, <laughs> I think I, I gotta watch. I gotta, I gotta watch this, and it's a, and it's a true story. It sounds like it's an autobiography. So yes. I'm like, I gotta read the book at the very least if I don't watch the movie. But yeah, that was very interesting making that movie. We got involved because of our sled dogs, and they needed. We had been in another movie actually, uh, Death Hunt. It's a movie with Charles Bronson about the Mad Trapper of Rat River. And so we were involved with that movie. There was seven dog teams in it. And our team was really well behaved. And, you know, we could steer them and ask them to do all these weird things that they ask you to do when you make a movie. So when they were looking for a dog team for Never Cry Wolf, they asked us. And I was new to mushing at the time. And my ex-husband was a main dog driver because I had just started mushing and the dogs knew him. So when the director, Carol Ballard, met us, and he saw my height was the same height as the Inuit shaman I was doubling for. And I'm bow-legged just like <laughs> he was. And he asked, can you run the dogs? And I'm like, ah, sure. <laughs> so they dressed so, me up in this caribou right. skin parka and seal skin camex. And so I was mushing the dogs and 
my ex was like hiding in just, the furs in the sled, giving the dogs commands. Yelling, and yelling to them It was really the interesting. Oh, that's but, a riot. Yeah, it was really nice experience working with uh, making that movie. The director was great. He was so conscious of the dogs and, you know, could they do more if they had enough? And mm -hmm. we worked with them for a month for that little part in the movie when um, the man's hiding. He gets dropped off in this frozen lake. He wants to study wolves for a year. And... Uh, there he is, dropped off with all his stuff, and he hears wolves howling in the background, and he hides under his canoe, and then um, this Inuit shaman mushes up and lifts the canoe off over the top of him. That's me doing that, and then mushes away. So that <laughs> didn't call scene, in a stunt double for the canoe part? <laughs> I lifted that canoe up hundreds of times. Oh Are you walking too fast? No, you're walking uh, too slow. you got to lift it faster. No, lift it slower. It's like, okay. You're like, I'm, I'm bow-legged and I'm wearing seal skin. Yeah. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> That's but, funny. Yeah, that was quite an experience. So you were up there what brought you back to Maine yes well the whole time I was up there I kept in touch with a friend that um, I grew up with in South China Maine and she and I wrote letters back and forth this whole time and she was working for the Outward Bound School here in Newry the Hurricane Island Outward Bound School mm -hmm. that has a base in Newry and um, I decided you know sitting up there in the cabin in the woods and in the bush in the Yukon and I would be looking at outward bound catalogs and I thought I'd really love to work with my dogs with these programs. Mm -hmm. I just thought it sounded so cool. So I decided um, that and I also the reason I loved being up in the north and for so many years I was learning so many things and I loved the quietness and the wildness and the isolation, but after a while, that's also what made me want to leave. It was so isolated, mm -hmm. and I realized, you know, I, I don't want to like go the rest of my life and not go to another contra dance or yeah. <laughs> go to a movie yeah. or you know. I was realizing I Your needed world more. world was closing in on you. Yeah. yeah, I needed more. So that's when I started thinking about working for the Outward Bound School. And she mentioned, my friend mentioned, that there was a man here in Newry, Kevin Slater, that was starting a dog sledding program for the Outward Bound School. And so I contacted, um, well, I, first I went to Minnesota and worked for Voyager Outward Bound School for the summer, planning to spend the winter there. And then also there I met somebody that was telling me about Kevin and that I should meet him and so there was like people so, kind of directing yeah. me towards Kevin. And so I, I came here and worked for Hurricane Island for the winter, you know, met Kevin. He was my boss. And uh, then we each had a dream of having our own guide service. I had started in the Yukon with my ex-husband, but it wasn't really going anywhere because people couldn't find us. We lived in the bush and mm -hmm. I'd turn mm -hmm. the radio phone on, he'd turn it off. So it's like, it wasn't really happening. And Kevin had started one here. It was just the beginning stages, but it wasn't really going either. So when we came together and had the common goal of having our own guide service, we started um, that like the next year. Yeah. And it was, you know, when you have that common uh, goal and, you know, I had the experience in the bush with dogs and canoeing and he had a lot of experience rock climbing, <clears throat> canoeing, and he had a dog team as well. So... It was pretty easy to start Mahusik Guide Service. That was in 1990. So we've been at it for a while. Yeah. For 30 
this will be our 31st winter going into business. And, that, you know, nuts. it's just uh, amazing the years have gone by. But I, I love being in the outdoors. I love meeting new people. I love my dogs. You know, they're like family to yeah. me. When I came back to Maine, I brought five dogs. Um, and so that's kind of the base of our lineage. We do our, we have our own dog family tree. We've been breeding since 79, so for over 40 years. <laughs> and it's a family line of dogs. We call them Yukon Huskies. So when I have a litter of pups now, they look very similar to the ones we had, you know, 40 yeah. years ago, but. They're we, so beautiful too. Yeah. I, I'm gonna have to get some pictures and stuff and share them because just, they're, they're just gorgeous. All of them, yeah. I mean, really, and, and they, yeah. It's nuts. They're huge too. Yeah, they're <laughs> they, strong. I couldn't stop talking about how tall <laughs> and just big they were. They're like, uh, and and so um, and so well behaved. They yeah. just love. They're so they're so good. So now this property that you guys are on here. Now, did Kevin have this before you guys met, or yeah, he yeah. bought it and then I came along the next year. So he bought the farm. Leaving the X behind. Oh yeah, the X. The X was yeah. in the distant Xness. <laughs> so we're not we're not gonna be scandalous here. Yeah. So, no regrets, but yeah, yeah. that's yep. in the past. Um, and yes, Kevin had bought the farm, which is over a hundred years old, with sixty acres, and um, did a lot of work to the farmhouse with an attached barn that yeah. you know we still use now. And then um, it's right here in Grafton Notch, right by the state park. Yeah, and it's, it's in a beautiful area. flat that's kind of nestled in between in the, the you know, two mountain kind of hill ranges, and it's just beautiful. And the, the viewpoint views are beautiful, and you've got just a great it's a great spot. And yeah, it's, Grafton Notch is gorgeous and has a bajillion places to stop and just enjoy yourself, even if you're not super outdoorsy. I mean, I like taking right. my mom up here because there's all these beautiful waterfalls that you can just see right off the road. Oh, and, yes. You know, yeah. it's very easy to, to navigate, um, kind of have a nice, fun, adventure day. So you come back here, you guys have the, you started the guide service and you started it out of here originally. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you're still here, which is amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit about the dogs and, and just, it was so interesting watching some of the videos you have that people have, you know, some that you guys have made, but some that people have made for you after these trips, because they're so inspired from this wonderful experience they have. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, some of the video is just amazing. And it just seems like it's such a transformative experience for some people. So tell me about just dog sledding in general, um, because we're not in the Arctic, we're in Maine right now, right. you know, yeah. and it can, it can happen. But, um, and then also, you know, the types of trips that you run and, you know, what you see on the, the side of the guide that you think makes it just so life-changing for some mm -hmm. people. Well, yes, the dogs, we've been breeding for, as I mentioned, all over 40 years. And we breed for um, friendly, hardworking, intelligent. We like long legs, a good coat, kind of the more traditional style of pulling dog. You know, they're not, and they are calm. We have a lot of people come on our trips that have been on other people's trips, worked with other dogs or apprentices that work with us that have been at other kennels. And they're always amazed at how calm our dogs are. Um, but 
you know, we feel that's important. I mean, that's how I like them to be, but also in working with them, like sometimes you have to, you want them to stand while you're teaching or, right. you know, we run multiple teams at once. Clients are running their teams that have never mushed before. So we don't really want the dogs to be really hyper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we don't like aggression. So, but our trips, I think we do day trips and overnight trips. We don't really do rides anymore. We used to when we first started, but um, we like to be out for the whole day or overnights. And we do teach, and it depends on what people want to do. They, some people like to just be a passenger in the sled, and that's fine. Um, if people want more hands-on experience, we often have two people per sled. Um, and then sometimes people want to mush by themselves. So we do all of that. But the dogs are really well behaved. They know what to do. And either Kevin or myself are with the first team. So other teams are like following us. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, we don't just say, this is how you do it. Take the team yeah. out. Good luck. <laughs> that would be too dangerous. <laughs> um, but the dogs are so excited when you hook them up and they're all jumping and barking and we have them tied off to a post or a tree. Otherwise they'd take off. And when we're ready to go, when you pull the knot and they head off, it's just amazing. It's like so quiet. And you yeah. just hear the runners on the snow and the dog's breath, you know, like panting. Yeah. And that's like all you hear. And it's just amazing. It's a, like a spiritual experience, really. And people mention that all the time, especially yeah. out on a lake. And it's uh, it's just very quiet. It really brings you into the moment and very close to nature. And yeah. I just, I love all that. I. I love seeing um, how people get, you know, excited and nervous and then, you know, they do this amazing experience and the feeling of confidence they get and camaraderie with the other people on the trip, especially if you're out in adverse weather conditions. Sometimes it's a storm or really cold or rainy or, you know, it brings people closer together. So I love seeing all of that and that's really what feeds me of what why I like doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I like seeing, you know, providing that opportunity for people. Because when you yeah. go out on the overnight trips, or I would maybe even on the day trips, it's not like every single person is riding in the sled the whole time. So how are they, they're, are they structured where people like ski or chase or like they take turns or how does that well, work? Well, on our day trips, everybody's dog sledding. And okay. it's usually two people okay. per sled. So we, we, you know, have a lesson at the trailhead, we have to truck our dogs to the trailhead, have a lesson about dog sledding, then we hook them up and mush like an hour, an hour and a half, and we stop, make a campfire, and we serve a hot lunch on the trail. We have a tripod holding, hanging a pot over fire. And, yes. And um, heat up the soup, and people toast bagels on a stick, and you know, <laughs> we have snacks and tea and hot chocolate. and. Let the dogs rest. The dogs get a hard-boiled egg. That's their snack, oh, which a they treat love. For them, yeah. <laughs> and Excellent. then we, you know, turn the sleds around. Or sometimes we mush back the same way. Sometimes a different way. Yeah. But that's the day trip. Overnight trips, we have some of the trips that everyone's mushing, like everybody. So we can't take as many people if they're all mushing. Right. Some are a combination of dog sledding and cross-country skiing. Then you could take more people. 
So how many yeah. are on each of the teams? Um, the, we the usually dogs? have five to seven dogs per okay. team. So it's not like the two, 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 two that you see in maybe some of the racing and things like yeah, that? Yeah, well, you can hook them up differently. You know, dogs like to be on a hard packed trail. So if you have a narrow trail, you have to hook them up single file. Oh, okay. We tend to run two in wheel, which is right in front of the sled, and then three in front yep. of them, like single. Uh-huh but it depends on the dogs and the conditions, but that's how we usually do it. Um, and then there's two people per sled. Usually Kevin builds the sleds that we use, so they're a little bigger and wider than a lot of sleds. And there's one person on each runner and then gear in the sled. And we have um, five dog teams. Yeah. Sometimes I guide separate from Kevin. We Sometimes we guide together, it just depends, but yeah. I do as much alone or maybe more alone than with him and um, then we have a ski guide and somebody who's a registered main guide go with our skiers because they travel at a separate pace than mm -hmm. the mushers and then we all meet at camp and we have uh, canvas wall tents set up with wow. wood stoves in them and balsam fir bile floors so you literally are tracking all that stuff in okay. well we set them up in the fall okay and take them down in the spring okay so we have. So you've got some outposts that yes. you work into the rotation. However, makes yeah. sense for the okay. Yeah, I was have. wondering about that because I was watching. It's so much work. Yeah. To set well, the camp between up. that and the in, and also on your canoeing trips, when I noticed, like in this video that I was watching before, like you're cooking over a an open fire skills are like next level. Yeah. Like I was, <laughs> I was a little bit ogling all the cast iron you had, and I was like, holy cow. Does she literally bring all that stuff in? And I, I guess in the case canoeing, of canoes, you we do. do. Yes. Which is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the dog sledding, we keep things in camp. Mm -hmm. you know, do but. you work with, are there other groups that use those? Or is that literally just? Just for us. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have um, special use permits and, you know, it's all lease fees. Yeah. So it's, but yeah, we're only the, the only ones allowed to use it. So, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, and we used to set them up by dog team, you know, in the fall, late fall, but our winters are getting shorter. Yes. So now we set them up by freighter canoe and, um, you know, we leave wow. the frames before, up yeah, year round. Before but, it even so we get snows. them all set and then when we can start guiding, you know, they're ready to go. So, yeah, so let's, we'll do a quick diversion on this whole like winter and will it, how many more years will there actually be one around here? So. <laughs> That's interesting to me because you must do, my, my guess is that you're doing most of those trips on more like either open fields or lakes or places where you can just go. So you don't have to worry about, you know, the hazards or rocks and things like that in the woods or whatever. Um, is that well, we, correct? Well, we or? do a lot on the lake, mm -hmm. yes. But, but then we, you need to wait for it to freeze. We have to wait for it to freeze. We have to go up and check conditions all the time, which takes a lot of skill. Mm-hmm because lakes, frozen lakes can be very dangerous, yes. right? Um, where there's inlets and outlets is always dangerous. Uh, the lake we go on, there's certain areas that are never safe. And we, you have, it's like local knowledge of knowing where to go. But we Do you also, mostly go to Umbagog? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you also need to go up you know, with the ice chisel, check the thickness of the ice if there's been thaws. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get really bad overflow. But that lake is shallow and it freezes early and thaws late compared mm -hmm. to the bigger lakes. We used to have one of us would go to Ambegog and one to Richardson Lake every weekend, but Richardson's a big, deep lake. Yeah. So now we can't use it as much as we used to. Yeah. 
I mean, in 30 years guiding, we notice a huge difference in the temperatures and the snow conditions and every, I mean, like we all are noticing, right. but even more so in the last probably 10 years. Yeah. And so, so. yeah. And, and it's interesting when you were saying that the dogs like obviously make sense that they would like to run on hard pack. So what does the beginning of the season look like? Like, I guess up here, at least the last few years that um, I've been coming up, it seems like it snows regularly enough that probably you don't get anything too well established and then there'll be another dump or whatever, but. Yeah, well, we live right here in the mountains, so it's hard, I mean, there's trails right from our kennel, but mm -hmm. it's hard to guide trips from here because it's too steep for mm -hmm. beginner mushers. You know, they would be crashing, it'd be hard on the dogs and people and sleds. That's why we like the lake, but we do have some trails that we use as well um, that are wider mm -hmm. and they're not as mountainous for beginner mushers. But you know, it's still a lot, a lot excuse me, a lot to learn when yeah. you're um, starting to dog sleds. So you don't want to be where there's a lot of hills, a lot of trees. Right. So, but you can mush on a road that's flatter mm -hmm. and. And pack so, down. How does the like how does the lake? Do you use? I mean, I would imagine they probably did the snowmobiles out there and stuff too. Oh, we so have. Yeah, our you guys trips have a, are all snowmobile supported okay. now. They didn't used to be. We used so to. Do you kind of groom it out first? So yeah, you know we where like you're going. To, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we we go along the shore. Most a lot of snowmobilers are going right down the middle of the lake, or they have places they like to go ice fish. So they're not really going where we want to go. Yeah, you know, we have our own yep. areas that we go, so. which is good. Yeah, I, it's I would good. imagine that makes for a safer trip for yes. everybody. <laughs> um, so what you know, you talked a little bit about what you look for in a dog. Like I'm very interested in this whole. Um, you know, there definitely seem like there are different roles on each team, and you know, how do you kind of First off, I guess, how do they learn to do what they do? I mean, it sounds like there's some training, but there may also be some just instinctual like things that just they know to do or want to do. Um, tell me a little right. bit more about how you pull that together and what it, you know what does it look like and how does a team kind of evolve? Right. Well, when you decide who to breed, of course you're going to breed your better dogs that are harder working, smart. You know, leaders are mm -hmm. nice to breed. Um, so first, it starts with the breeding, and we do introduce new blood every few years to mix in with our bloodlines so mm -hmm. that we keep the genetics fresh. Um, and then once a litter is born, I'm observing them from the moment they come out of the mom to try to decide, because I usually keep, we keep some, and some are sold as pets or sled dogs. Mm -hmm. I, we always have people wanting our bloodlines, so um, I'm trying to figure out the best homes for the dogs or the puppies and of course you can never have too many lead dogs so one of the things I do when they're very small I take them for walks in the woods and um, <clears throat> you might step over a log that's like eight inches tall and you watch the puppies to see which ones are like trying to you know they're trying to get over the log and they can't because they're a little bit too small and they're there on the log just crying and crying and then the smarter ones go right around the log yeah Oh, that's interesting. So I'm like, aha, that's a possible lead dog. And when you right say lead, lead dog, you're talking about the dog that is in the front. In the front, okay. yes. And they're yeah. the ones that are mo most responding to your commands? Yes, they're okay. responding to the commands. They have a lot of responsibility. They need, you know, the confidence. And so that's something that I'm always looking for when the, with the puppies. So you're not looking necessarily for the dog that's trying to just like barrel their way through something. It's the one well, who's kind me, of like, I... let me step back and assess the situation. <laughs> How am I going to approach this most efficiently? 
interesting. Well, that's that's for me. I mean, you have it, it takes all kinds to make a team because you know you've got your leader that you know as we were mentioning, smart and devoted and hardworking. The team dogs could be anybody, and then the wheel dogs tend to be your bigger, stronger ones right in front of the sled. So yeah. you want to have some muscle there, yeah, like so. like the linemen in football. Like, yeah. Okay. But the dogs really train each other. You don't have to do a lot of training except for the lead dog. And when we train our leaders, we run them in swing. That's the position right behind the leader. So if you have oh, one that's potentially okay. going to lead, that's the position we run them in. So they're learning from the leader. And then when they seem to be confident enough to be in lead, we put them in lead and the better lead dog right behind them. And how does so, that go? Does the lead dog get a little bit pissed off? It depends on the leader. Have to go to move number two. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it really depends on the dog, but usually it's hard on them. Yeah. But yeah. they they can realize if they can't keep the pace anymore. They you know you kind of move your way from the back forward, and then you move your way back Backward into the again. team. You know, as you get older, because you can't have a dog that's really old leading a big team. So. But, interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, all the dynamics with the dogs. And, and are most of them, do you, are you swapping dogs in all the time as like some, maybe something, one of them ages out and kind of goes into retirement and then you kind of move in somebody in or are you mixing it up once in a while to get them familiar with working with each other so that you can swap out the teams as you need to? Right. Well, when I mush dogs, I run three teams all at once. So I'm with the first team and then I have the second team and the third team. Usually with my third team, I have an apprentice or someone that's learning with that team. Mm -hmm. And the two most important dogs in this string of three dogs is the most important is leading my team, the first team. The other most important dog is leading the third team because they're often way behind, you know. Oh, yeah. It has to be a very responsible dog that's not going to disobey or do anything that they shouldn't. So those are the two most important dogs. And then the other ones, usually the leading the second team, you know, they're really just trying to catch me. So it's yeah. not as an important <laughs> position for, but um, you hook up the younger dogs side by side with an older one that's like real steady. And, you know, puppies like to jump around and chew on things and, you know, roll around. And an adult dog, when they're hooked up next to them, will just kind of like growl or like, put yeah, them in their just place like, like relax. just yeah <laughs> chill would you <laughs> so that's what you do that's and, interesting um, yeah the only ones you really have to train are the leaders and we don't go r- real high mileage on our trips because of you know the people it's a hands-on experience for people learning yeah. and then the winter camping takes a while so we can run our dogs until they're almost like 10 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was going to ask, like, when are they ready to start? And then, you know, how long? Yeah. Usually I usually go? start them at six months, but they're not really in, you know, just shorter distances. Yeah. Um, by the time they're a year, they can go whatever distance we go. And then usually by nine or 10, maybe even 11, that's how long we run them. And then they retire into our daylight basement and live their years out here. And usually 13 to 17 is how long our dogs live. Yeah, it's amazing. There's a a very beautiful little spot out on the property that has kind of memorials for all of the dogs that you've had. Um, And they, they have a pretty sweet setup here with the pastures and stuff. So the way Polly and Kevin were showing us how they they kind of go back and forth between you know their 
where they all they have their houses, but then they have these multiple pastures around the property that they get to get out and get their yeah every day they get get to their run. jazz all out yes. of them for hours and hours because <laughs> even in this hot weather they seem to be pretty into doing that and they they definitely need some exercise. So it's just it is it's very interesting. They seem like they really love you guys and. Well, I'm sure do. they love what they do. The one, the one time I've ever seen, I was telling you before, uh, a team, a couple teams depart. It was exactly as you describe it. They were, they could, the dogs could not have been more jazzed to like, you know, they're all sitting there like, pick me, pick me, pick me. And then when yeah. they would come over to get them and move them into the team, they'd be so psyched and hanging out with their team and they're all farting and they're making <laughs> all so much noise. And then, you know, they all get set up and then, but the second you know, that switch gets flipped. It was like silence and just like they came yeah. out of a cannon. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, it was like a transcendental experience. I wasn't yeah. even going on the trip. I was just watching them <laughs> from the street. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I can't imagine. I mean, I don't think that there's a thrill ever come out of that. No, I still, after all these years, it's an adrenaline rush and a spiritual experience for me every time. How many times I mean, have you gotten dumped off the back when they go... That seems like that would be my worry. Yeah, I would be wood. like so so excited that it just happened, and I would like let, let go and you get dumped right off the back. I of know. The trail. Well, it would it can happen if you're not paying attention for sure. Yeah. Knock on wood, that hasn't happened in a long, 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 long time. Not even to your remember. guests. What's that? Not even to any of. Oh, the guests. guests. Yeah, it happens. Yes. <laughs> no, to me. It happens on the regular. Oh yes. Yeah. No, it, it does happen. That's why Kevin or I are with the first team. So we can catch, because the dogs will keep running if you fall off and let go. Yeah, they have no... They're like, yeehaw, let's yeah. go. <laughs> All of a sudden, like, we don't have to Now wait. we don't have to stop. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. one other thing I was going to mention about um, with leaders, I've had probably five different ones over the years that I have this, get quite an... Uh, relationship with them where they can actually read your mind it's like mental telepathy when yeah. you think a command then they do it with you haven't even given them the command yet and that is like so amazing that is amazing yeah so i just think you know the bond that you develop with these dogs is really something so yeah yeah so then you have to decide okay do i let them do it because i just thought i'm going to let them like stop up here to rest or i'm going to turn off the trail here and they do it when you just think it but you haven't asked them to do it yet. right right <laughs> so then you have right. to decide oh okay i guess we're going to do it because i was thinking it and i hadn't said it yet yeah or you that's say, crazy that's crazy or doing. either that or they just get to know you so well that they're like oh, i know what she's going to make me do next yeah. so i'm going to show her <laughs> So kind of related to that, on your site, when I was reading your little bio, there was just like a one-liner that when you were, in, at some point, you were a director of a daycare center. Yeah, so did. my question is, which is the more challenging thing, wrangling your the 40 dogs or, I don't know what age these kids were, oh. but I can't even imagine. So there must be oh, some similarities. There's similarities for sure. But I, yeah, I like work. I mean, I liked working with the kids, but the dogs I'm, won. I'm I'm in the animal person. <laughs> <Yes>. so. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about um, one of the things that's really cool about the a lot of the experiences that you are creating for people is um, you mentioned that Kevin makes your sleds, and I just think that's pretty cool, and that's artistry in and of itself, but. It seems like you weave a lot of kind of indigenous culture, craft, like just a focus on 
hey, by the way, there's been people doing this in this area for hundreds of years before we got here. So let's involve them in this experience. And mm -hmm. I can only imagine how valuable that must be for the people that, that come on that. So what, like, what was it? Was it your experience in the Yukon? Or you know, when did you first start thinking, not only do I want to do this canoeing and, this, and the dog sled stuff, but I want to kind of incorporate this other element into mm -hmm. it? Yes, well, I first worked with Native Americans up in the Yukon at these hunting camps, mm -hmm. the big game trophy hunting camps. They were some of the guides, and I love being with them in the bush. Mm -hmm. I love their style, you know, the quieter, slower, um, very in tune with their natural surroundings. They would get just as much game as the non-Native people, but the style of how they did it was so much more, I don't know, I just really love being with them. So when Kevin and I got together, we actually did trips with Cree Indians for many years up in northern Quebec and Inuit. Mm -hmm. up in, we went to Baffin Island, which is now Nunavut, for many years. The man we guided with um, was born and raised in an igloo, and, um, but he's passed on now. Now we work with a man in Kujuak on, on Gaba Bay and he, with his dogs. Mm -hmm. and. I, I just love being with Native people, and now we, we're working with the Penobscots right here in Maine. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them live on Indian Island, mm -hmm. and um, so I like to bring our guests to on these trips to learn about different cultures. I mean, I've traveled the world. I right. love learning about other cultures and, you know, getting seeing how people live and their beliefs, which is different than us. It's a different style, and I love to educate people and honor them and learn from them mm -hmm. and so our trips with the Penobscots are canoeing trips and um, you know people get a chance to make their own little basket and paddle in a birch bark canoe and learn about flint napping and their culture and carving. Yeah I would so imagine it probably I mean I think we've evolved into not paying a whole heck of a lot of attention to what's going on around us most of the time. I think you guys haven't, but mm. a lot of people that live not in the middle of beautiful nature, you know, yeah. it's like, it's so easy to, um, to not pay attention now. And I think it would be so cool to kind of be brought into this like presence of people, of somebody who is just spending a lot more time thinking about it, how the, the symbiosis and just how everything works together and mm -hmm. how you can, you know, like you lived and were, living off the land when you were in the Yukon. I mean, that doesn't happen around here. And people just walk by things all the time that, you know, once upon a time somebody knew like that plant could heal this. You would want to, if you have an upset stomach, you should have that. Yes. And I think like incorporating and trying to just, you know, going on a, a one or two day trip or whatever, even a one day, a week long trip, you're not going to incorporate all this knowledge into yourself, but to just mm -hmm. have an appreciation of like, wow. Yeah. They do teach some of that yeah. too. I think yeah, that's so cool. really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, back to the Kevin is quite a craftsman. So we do make our own yeah. canoes and yeah. paddles. He actually just recanvassed a canoe for one of those Penobscots. Oh, no way. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, I can't, yeah. I don't know how to do this anymore. And nobody on yeah. the island so does. So they were learning you that do this? from Kevin. Yeah. Where did so. he learn to make the sleds? Was It, it was um, from that? somebody, I think I was listening to something. Oh, Ed. Ed Moody, he learned some from him, but yeah. a lot just from talking to different people. And, you know, there, there are people making dog sleds, but Ed yeah. Moody, um, he's passed on now, but Kevin did learn a lot from him as well. 
And for the canoes, he were, learned that from Jerry Stelmach. He's up in northern Maine. Oh, wow. So he's still making canoes. Yeah. Island Falls. I suppose once you kind of are introduced to like the concepts of how you can like steam and bend the wood and you know which ones to use for which which characteristics mm -hmm. then there's probably a lot of trial and error involved too of just like oh I'm going to try this yes. and then it snaps or it gets cold and cuz right. I mean I uh I I have a whole new appreciation for just wood and the characteristics of wood. I did this chainsaw safety course a couple of weeks ago with um, some other women and, and just, I have a whole new appreciation for wood. You, know, you don't just go up and cut something like, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially if it's bent or, you know, like there's all these things going on that you have to take into account. I'm like, wow, that's just, you know, crazy. All right, my last, I do want to talk about the outdoor cooking. Like, oh, the outdoor cooking, yes. Well, I did take a class at Yukon College when I was up there on camp cookery. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. It was like six weeks of just different ways to cook on the fire and in the ground and, you know, outside. And, oh, my gosh, we all gained so much weight. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> we had to, you know, we are cooking and baking try it, all the sure time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we had to obviously. try everybody. So that's where I, I really learned a lot. And, yeah, all of our trips in the summer, we bake with a reflector oven and Dutch oven and, yeah. Food was, is really important on a trip. That's what people remember. We get a lot of repeat clients. That's what they remember most is the food. Yeah, that's <laughs> so like, funny. It's so funny, but they do. And then they'll say, you remember we were here and we ate this and then we ate that? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah, it's Whatever really keeps funny. them coming back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always remember the moose about that yeah. trip. But you're yeah. right. Their boobery cobbler was yeah. next level. Um, so, I, yeah, I was going to also say how I... For me, one of my, my favorite trips are the women's trips. Yep. I really do love guiding women. So Talk I to do me about some. those, because I mean, you do them just not just the paddling, right? You yeah, do them, in the winter too. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm interested in like your perception of those and why they're important, but also like, have they changed at all in all the years you've been doing them? Like the types of people they attract, the groups, the dynamics, anything like that? Well, not necessarily for the women's trips. I I like the women's trips now as much as 30 years ago because I just like bringing women together. I feel like they're very supportive. They try things that they might not try. If you know, if you have men and women together, you often end up, you know, the men are sawing the wood and the women are in the kitchen. You know, it's just naturally, I mean, used to be more that way. Yeah. Um, they're running but, away from the mansplaining. Like, <laughs> I don't want you to tell me how to cut but that But when rice. it's all women, you know, they're all doing everything yeah. and they support each other and I don't, you know, they don't feel like they're judged. And I don't know, I just love seeing the, the support and encouragement and there's a lot of sharing, personal sharing, which I like. Mm -hmm. That um, So people come away with that feeling of confidence and, you know, I really like that. And we don't really do anything different on a woman's trip than we would on a co-ed trip, except it just naturally happens. Yeah. You know, that this happens. That's interesting. And it's typically a mix of ages and stuff, right? Yeah. And yeah. like, do you have any, you know, mother-daughter groups that come? Or? Well, we get mother-daughters all the time, yeah. but it's not advertised necessarily for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And we have women who are couples together. And, yeah. I mean, we, do, we get every, just everybody. Get everything. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I was wondering if, if, I don't know, if a group of women getting together to do something like this 20 years ago looked any different than maybe they did now, but I guess not, not really. really. I don't think so. 
folks um, who self-select into these types of things are looking for a specific experience, do you think? Or are they just trying to, like, wh what draws them to a woman's trip versus just going out? Well, I don't know. I think it all depends on the individual woman. Some people just want to break from their family and, you know, to go with a woman friend, other woman you know, they have a partner who's a woman, so they just prefer the woman's company. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it just all depends on individually. Yeah. I would say mm -hmm. myself, I'm much more likely to opt into a women's only trip if I'm trying something new by myself, like, you know, rather yeah, exactly. than just sign up for, you know, Joe mountain biking clinic, yeah. whatever. I'd much rather start out opting into a woman's thing because I do find that it's just yeah the the, the, you don't the feel vibe is totally different yeah. yeah yeah a lot of laughing yeah you know yeah Kevin and I used to teach junior main guide trips for years to the local kids they were 10 to 13 year olds and we'd take them out for like four days and we'd do the canoe over canoe rescue first thing you know capsize your canoe and you have to to practice make the tea up. and all yeah, that yeah and the yep. tea rescue and everything and you know, the girls would just be giggling and laughing and talking the whole way, you know, and they yeah. would do just as well as the boys. Yeah. And the boys are kind of like trying to muscle their way all kind of serious and quiet. I mean, not, it's just different style. Yeah. And that's kind of how it happens. That's funny. I do think um, in guiding, you wonder differences now from then, this wouldn't be a gender thing, but I, I do believe that people tend to be a little softer now than they used to be. Mm -hmm. Like for our winter trips, we used to actually go out with our groups and set up camps from scratch, you know, cut down the trees yeah. for the poles for the tent frames and get all the boughs for the floor of the tent, boughs for the dogs to lay on, cut the firewood. We'd be eating at like eight or nine at night. Yeah. You know, it's a ton of work. Yeah. And people would do it and you know, that was part back. of the experience. Yes, yeah. but, now, but now I don't think we would get any repeat clients. <laughs> Even now, it feels like a big deal to mush into a camp that's all set up. And yeah. The yeah. biggest thing is you have to chop a hole through the ice to get water and, you know, cut some wood to resupply what we burn. And, uh, you know, that's enough for people. Oh, my god! I mean, they enjoy the nature. And right. Being oh, out, yeah. And I'm but... sure they're going back telling everybody what a badass <laughs> they are. And they, they don't know half of it. <laughs> but I, I do think things... That's one difference. That I is noticed. interesting because, like, if anything, the gear has gotten so much better and it's so much easier to stay warm and dry and, you know, on Quick point dry than it ever has been before. And yet it's like, oh, yeah, but I just don't want to do that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. And right. the connection with the, you know, there is a cell tower now. We never had anybody be able to be on right. um, Wi Fi or, you know, Texting. You have a little box, you make them lock all their gadgets oh, in before they leave. That's a new thing just in the last year. It's really, yeah. I don't really like it, but whatever. I know. It's what's happening. I try to explain to my kids because they're always like, they're fr they freak out when there's no signal for something. And I'm like, you know, I don't know, somehow I managed to get to adulthood and we couldn't just call somebody when we got lost. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just figure it out. Like, yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it sucked, but you did it. It was yeah. fine, you know. Everybody would be okay. You don't need to be in connection 24-7. Yes. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I want to end with just a couple quick questions. This has been amazing, and you've given me way more of your time than you needed to, so I really appreciate this. Yeah. I want to just sit here all day because it's so <laughs> amazing in here, i got to tell you. Um, so we talked about a little bit the weather. Um, I do want to just kind of ask, like, so you have been experiencing winter up here for 
many, many years. What do you think the key differences are? Are they just like don't last as long? Are they warmer? Are they wetter? Are they, you know, well, what, have, what have you noticed most? Yes, I think there's just extremes. Like they aren't lasting as like our saws. We're getting saws in the winter where it used mm-hmm. to, we wouldn't get as many saws mm-hmm. for one thing. And then the lake, we used to be able to go on it in early November, then mid-November. Now you don't know whether it's going to be November or December. So yeah. It's, and then this, this year, it wasn't until it was like January before stuff seemed like it was frozen. Whereas I remember when we first bought our place, like whatever that was, two years ago, three years ago. Like I remember in December, it was wicked cold. Yeah. But we didn't get that really this right. year. But we, well, that lake is so shallow. I guess because they're shallow, yeah. Yeah, we can go on it sooner than other places. Like we were on it in December, but it's just getting shorter and more extremes. Like... Uh, the thaws in the winter, in the summer, instead of just getting like a rain, it can be like torrential. Yeah. You know, or a wind just coming up out of the blue and, you know, like almost hurricane winds and then die down. Like, yeah. So I feel like, you know, you're so vulnerable when you're out camping. And, you know, I'm just noticing these things. Yeah. Like you really want to button down your camp because you don't know for yes. sure. What's and I think happen? this whole area is so, it's so much more volatile weather-wise than where I live full-time. And, and so we're always, you know, we're getting used to that as we come up here. It's like things are just going to blow through, you know. Yes. Yeah, I know it says it's going to be sunny, but it won't be. Like yeah. there'll be something that'll come, you know, lightning, right. through, you know, whatever. And then it's over as fast as it started. But, um, you know, I, I, you don't have to worry about it as much when you're in a nice cozy building versus you've got a bunch of people you're responsible for and you've, yeah, you're, you're out in the middle of a lake or something. Like, yes. That's got to be a little bit crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely notice that. Yeah. All right. Um, tell me your favorite place to canoe and whether you're by yourself and, and or with Kevin, like people that know what they're doing and then maybe your favorite place to canoe with a group of that you're guiding. Um, well, it depends. I mean, it's depends on what I want to, <clears throat> I have a few favorite places. <laughs> I don't know if I could pick one. You don't have to pick one, but yeah. like, I guess I'm curious as to why they would be, why they're a different favorite place right. than the other. Well, I love going up to Ambigog. I never get tired of that lake. I just think it's a very spiritual place, summer or winter. Mm-hmm. So I do love going there and all the little coves and nooks and crannies. Um, but as far as a river, I love going up on the Allagash, mm-hmm. in northern Maine. It has a mix of flat water, moving water, some white water, and I love the remoteness of it. Yeah. And it's beautiful scenery. So I love going up there. I really like being on the Penobscot River with the Penobscots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like just, it's That's... kind of like, I don't know, it feels like this special treat every time I am just because it's so much of who they are yep. and that we have a relationship and so I always love that but I love to travel I do trips out west I love going on the upper Missouri and Montana I love the Green River in Utah you know I just love going to new places yeah and do you fish so. a lot I do not, no, not big fish. on fishing mm-hmm. I always tell people if I could catch a prime rib I'd fish <laughs> I, I like prime rib but i'm not a big okay. fish eater that's so funny yeah. all right well it's it's interesting that you spend so much time on the water and i i think there's a lot of people who fish who aren't even necessarily fish eaters they just are like you know they just love to the chase or the catching yeah, the something act. beautiful and letting right. it go whatever and it's interesting to me i yeah that's true yeah i don't know yeah. um okay 
And then we talked, we talked about the dog sled. If you had your choice, like, would you always be on a lake or like, do you like being in the woods more? If you could find a nice casual place where you're, you know, like not endangering the dogs or whatever, where would you rather be on a sled? Yeah. Oh, I love being on the lake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I might have been an Inuit in a past life. Yeah. I just, I love being out in the sea ice when we do our trips with Inuit. I, I love being on the frozen oh, that's lake. That's right. You can go out on the ocean yeah. up there. That's... Yeah, so, yeah, I, I really like the openness Yeah. and the vistas you get. And you see the animal tracks out on the lake. Mm-hmm. So, Have you ever gotten into, well, I'm sure you have, sketchy situation where, you know, wind kicks up or like visibility issues? Oh, yeah. yeah. Even last winter, we were out in a whiteout that came up when we were crossing the lake. It was really something for... Yeah. the guests and um yeah it was hard to find the trail i had to actually walk in front of my lead dog for a little while <laughs> because <gasps> no you know you can yeah. only feel it with your feet oh my god and it was so windy yeah but see i love that sort of thing i love so your map and compass skills are pretty much like well i didn't it was just a one of those freak just squalls a quick that oh came yeah up so if you just stay we put for a couple close. minutes yeah to, I mean, I knew the route really well, so we didn't have to get out a map and compass. I just walked in front of her to keep her on the hard packed trail mm-hmm. to get to shore. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, you could feel it under your feet. Yeah. So. And were your guests like losing their minds behind um, you? Or they were, they, were like, they whoa, this is really something. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was filming it. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it, you know, it, hap- it only lasted for like 15 minutes. Yeah. It was came up quick. Tell them that's then... not going to be a very good video when you get back. It's just going to be a big white cloud yeah, with a lot of voices like, oh my God, in the yeah. background. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. So two things related to your cooking. What do you find that you make when you're, you know, for your trips that is like the most popular when you're cooking outside? Oh, for a meal? Meal, dessert, whatever. Um, I mean, probably the well, sweets are more popular, but dessert yeah, for a yeah. meal. People love, you know, strawberry shortcake. Pineapple upside down cake. Oh. Those are some popular ones. Chocolate yeah. chip cookies in the reflector oven. You see, with a reflector oven, you can watch things as they cook. The right. Dutch oven, it's you know in the coals, yeah. so you yeah. can't so much. Yeah. But when you take the lid off, and there it is, this amazing dessert. You know, people love that. Yes. So what's your, what yeah. would be your like? Don't leave home without piece of cast iron. If you can only bring one thing, what are you bringing? Oh well, I use the cast iron frying pans. The skillet. Yeah. yeah, the skillet. Okay. Good to know. Good yeah. To know. Love that. Um, okay. My final question that I like to ask everybody is, what is your favorite piece of gear that you own that costs less than $50? Oh, well, I have two things I never like to go out without is my knife and my axe. Okay. I those always are... feel naked without them. Yeah. So. Those are good. They, you just came right up with those. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. That's... That's it. Yeah. I, I've been surprised that nobody's really mentioned, I think one person mentioned a knife. Nobody's mentioned an axe. Well, we do stuff traditionally, so. Right. Well, you How are you going to cook dinner if you got no <laughs> know. kindling? That yeah, makes right. perfect sense. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So your website, which I love, the fact that you actually have the mahusik.com website mm-hmm. for your guide services. So that's a great place for people to find you. Anything, any other place that you feel like people should look for you? Well, Facebook, yeah. we're on that, Instagram. Sharing about the it beautiful for, pictures. They, yes. Are you still doing, are you still having interns and, and folks? Yes, we have apprentices here? that work with us seasonally yeah. that want to learn about 
what we have to offer. I decided when I saw that, I'm not going to start trying to talk one of my kids into doing it. Yeah, but. it's not, you know, we people are amazed. That they think just romanticize about the trips and the dogs, yeah. but it's a lot of work. A lot of work, Yeah, I it's bet. a lot yeah. of behind-the-scene things that go on when people show up for a trip and... Mm -hmm. You know, the packing of the food and the gear and just taking care of all these dogs, all the dogs is like I yes. gotta believe a nonstop thing. It you is. can never go on vacation, probably. <laughs> well, it's hard. Yeah, one of us has to go and the other ones stay here. Yeah. Usually. So yeah, but apprenticeships are. I mean, I would recommend them if it's not with us, but with somebody because hands-on learning is really. I think it's great. Do you, ever, I'm not do you a, ever accept middle-aged women? Can <laughs> I apply next year and come run away from my family for yeah, six right. months? I'm like, I'll do anything you want. <laughs> Cook, well, clean, sweep, like mow the yeah. lawn. He'll be fine. <laughs> He'll get his own apprenticeship at yeah. home. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> he would miss you. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. All right. Well, this has been great. I really, really appreciate you doing this with me today and taking the time to, to talk to me about this. Any other parting words you want to? Well, I just want to encourage women to get out and follow your passions and, you know, learn new things, see new places, yeah. be safe. I think it's great what you're doing. And Well, you know, I think it's great what you're doing, and I'm super excited that I've now been here and been able to see this amazing spot. So I think, oh, my God, I can't really wait to come <laughs> back. It's so lovely here, and I think as soon as the world really opens up for real, it will be so great to welcome people from you know, further afield than yes. just New England. So, right. well, thank you again. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, as I listened back on this conversation when I was editing it, I couldn't help but chuckle at the irony that Polly, who didn't think she was on any kind of career path, offered up one of the best roadmaps I've heard of how to develop a leader within an organization when she was explaining how she quote unquote trains her lead dogs. I think she'll have a successful seventh career as a management consultant. Anyway, I hope you'll check out Polly's guided dog sled and canoe trips on her website, mahusik.com. That's M-A-H-O-O-S-U-C.com. And then follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Mahusik Guide Service. I promise you there is plenty of puppy cam going on. It is so adorable. You have to check it out. I also hope you'll look at some of the videos that are posted on the Mahusik.com site to get a better sense of the totally transcendent nature of the trips that she leads. Please also check out our show notes for links to other places and products Polly and I prattered on about. And I promise no more alliteration. If you've enjoyed the podcast so far, I hope you'll take an extra second to leave a rating or review on your favorite player or better yet, tell your friends about us. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. Let's keep spreading the inspiration and getting a little wild.